0: Yeah, I I love seeing us reaching out to so many because our, our mission statement is what? To be God's bridge to all people, a span across the gap of where they are now to where God created them to be. And that just doesn't mean other Christians. It doesn't just mean people we want to have become believers. In this case, we were God's bridge to Syrian refugees, to Muslims, because we want them to know that God loves them and that Jesus loves them. And you know, they're perfectly willing to talk about God and Jesus. They revere Jesus as a prophet. We want them to know that he's so much more. He's not just a prophet, he is a savior. So that's just one of the ways the bridge has been the bridge here in the last month. Uh, This week we had Vacation Bible School here. And we had 155 children attend. We had 45 ministry partner volunteers that came every day to, to Vacation Bible School. We had 39 children trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. How amazing is that, huh? And then we had 775 crafts and all that kind of stuff made throughout the week. And we had $595 raised for the cause of missions. The boys and girls had an had a offering contest and uh, the girls won which meant Pastor Barnabas lost because he got a pie in the face because the boys didn't win. But anyhow, it was a great time. Uh, This morning, uh, I was here early, and uh, when I pulled in, there were already cars and people here. Our middle schoolers left this morning for summer camp with Pastor Barnabas, and so pray for them this week. So I'm just excited. So many great things happen at the bridge, and you are a great part of making all of that happen. Well today, I kinda wanna return to a message I shared with you two weeks ago. I really meant initially to put these two messages together, but we had Father's Day come in between, and I really wanted to to have a Father's Day address on Father's Day. So if you missed two weeks ago, let me bring you up to date real quick. We talked about God's dilemma and our opportunity. When God created everything, according to Genesis chapter one, after each creative act, he stepped back and he evaluated. And he said, it's good. When he was done, having created humankind, he stepped back and looked at it all. And he said, it's very good. Everything was exactly right. Everything was perfect. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And Romans 5.12 reminds us that because Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into the world. And sin passed upon all humanity because subsequently all have sinned. But what we also noted was that sin's entrance into creation not only impacted humanity. It had a horrible effect on all creation. That's why Romans 8:19 through 22 says for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected. Who's that? That's Adam and Eve, right? Goes on to say, for we know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The reason that, that, that our world is so chaotic and the reason that we have hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and droughts and sickness and disease is all because of sin's entrance into the world. It wasn't God's design. God didn't design creation that way. It was our rebelliousness. That brought that upon ourselves. So everything God created, we saw, was terribly marred. Now, God at that point could have destroyed humanity and he could have started over again. That was a reasonable option for him. It would have been a just option for him. But that's not the heart of God because God loves us. And so, as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, That's what we deserve because of our sinfulness. But that's not what God gave us. He said the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Instead, he chose to give us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through trusting Jesus Christ that we can have forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. So God's dilemma, though, then became this. In Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? See, God can't have fellowship with sin. So God has a dilemma. How can I get people around the world to understand that I'm offering them this amazing gift of eternal life? says, so, How can they believe in something they've never heard of? And how can they hear about it unless somebody tells them it? And see, that's where God's dilemma is our opportunity. How can God resolve his dilemma? Through us. That's our purpose. That's our opportunity in this life. And two weeks ago, we looked at how we do that. We do that through our witness We do it through our transformation, trying to be more Christ-like all the time. We do it through our service, and we do it through our sacrifice, the giving of our time, the giving of our financial support to ministries. I left you with this question two weeks ago. Will you make God's dilemma your opportunity? I wonder what you've done with that since two weeks ago. Now today, I want to continue this idea of reaching out, being God's Voice being God's hands, being God's ears and eyes to the people he desperately wants to come to faith in Jesus. Because remember, Scripture says God's not willing that anyone perish, but that everyone come to repentance. So today I want to ask the question, how to be a contagious Christian? How can we be a contagious Christian? Now you say, contagious, that's not really a good word, is it? I mean, we think of contagious with disease and, and ugly stuff. And in fact, Webster's first dictionary definition, say that ten times fast, is transmissible by direct or indirect contact with an infected person. We have contagious isolation wards in our hospitals. When we have children who are sick, they tell us don't send them to school because they're contagious. And so we look at that word in a negative word. But you know what? If we are infected with Jesus, that's a whole other thing, right? Because then it becomes another definition Webster offers, exciting, similar emotions or conduct in others. See, that's what we want to do. We want to excite people about Jesus. We want to excite them about modifying their behaviors. We want to excite them about this amazing opportunity that they have because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So this is the strategy that I'm calling for us as a bridge to embrace. That of 2 Corinthians 2.14, you've seen this passage before. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. He's the one leading us. He's, he's the one that will pave the way for us to do all this. And it says, and through us spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So here's what I'm going to challenge us with. As we live out our lives day by day, whatever we do, wherever we go, say, I have an opportunity to be the fragrance of of the knowledge of God. I have the opportunity to bring God's presence into my workplace, into my school, into my neighborhood, into my immediate family, into my extended family, into the social circle that I run in. I have the opportunity, wherever I am, not by getting up on a soapbox and holding a Bible up and beating people down, but just by being different, by being a pleasing fragrance of the Lord. Now, how do we do that? First, we do that by accepting others unconditionally. Accept them unconditionally. Abraham Maslow, who was a a psychologist, developed years ago a pyramid of human needs. He said, these are five basic psychological and physical needs that every human needs, every human being needs in order to be a healthy, productive, functioning human being starts at the bottom with things that would be obvious, physiological needs, and that's like, we need food, right? We need water, we need sleep, we need shelter. Then he says, we need safety, We, we need a safe place, a safe environment, home sweet home, sometimes we call it. But then he says, look, love and belonging, achieving deeper, more meaningful relationships. See, everyone, Maslow says, as part of being a healthy human being, needs Love and needs acceptance. I was reading a news article here a little while ago, maybe a month or two ago, of a a woman who was really quick on her feet, as we like to say. She and some dinner guests were having, in a very kind of upscale area of of Los Angeles, were having a backyard dinner time. You know, it wasn't a, a formal big party, but it was just a couple families, and they were together, couples having dinner together. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guy comes with a big knife. And he threatens him. He says, I'm going to cut you up if you don't give me everything you have. Now, the woman who was the hostess of the party, quick on her feet, said, well, hi, my name is so-and-so you know we're just having a little bit of dinner and we just kind of finish we're having some desserts and we're enjoying this this really wonderful bottle of wine and she said well, why don't you sit down and have some dessert and wine with us and I mean the guy wasn't expecting this right and he ended up actually sitting down she brought him some some dessert and poured him some wine and he starts sipping the wine and said wow this is mighty fine wine she goes well I'm glad you're enjoying it. have some more and they talked for a while. Pretty soon, the guy said, "Well, I guess I picked the wrong house to rob today, didn't I?" And she said, "Well, you know, we all have our challenging days." He said, "Well, I guess I'm going to leave." And she said, "Well, take the bottle with you." And he laughed. Now he drank the wine, and threw the bottle away because it was a rare vintage. The police found the bottle, found his fingerprints on the bottle, and he had a less welcoming reception with the police later on in the day. But even that thief, see needed acceptance needed relationship more than he hungered for money that day see that's that, that's where people are at Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19 the son of man came eating and drinking and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard a t- friend of tax collectors and sinners Jesus here's what they're saying about me they're saying that that because I come and I eat that I'm a glutton and I'm a drunkard because I, 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 I drink. And he says, the worst thing they say about me is this, that I'm a friend of tax collectors. Remember, I've told you many times, tax collectors were on the bottom rung in the social ladder in, in Israel in that day, in Palestine in that day, because they were seen as collaborators with the occupying Roman forces. And they, they extracted not only with the Rome taxes, demanded. But as much as they could out of the people for their own pockets. And so they were hated. And he said, He's a friend of those tax collectors. He's a friend of sinners. But Jesus said, But wisdom is proved right by her actions. What do you mean? See, in Mark 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners now Jesus didn't approve of their behavior he wasn't endorsing them he wasn't enabling them Jesus looked beyond their behavior and he saw what they're hurt he saw they were behaving the way they were because hurt people hurt people and they were behaving the way they, they were because there was something missing. There was something void. There was some void in their life. And Jesus knew that the only thing that could fill that void was God and him in particular. Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Well, well God would, Christ should have accepted me. I'm a wonderful person. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that way, right? But we're not. There was nothing so attractive about us to God that He made special provision for us. What did Jesus just say? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. He said, It's it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he, he loves us. He says, in order to bring praise to God, as we accept others unconditionally, it provides one of their five greatest human needs and it brings praise to God. Now, I'm going to give you a warning. When you do this, at least initially, they aren't going to readily accept you back. They're not going to go, Oh, I've never seen this in my life. You're such an amazing person. No, it's not going to happen. Why? Because they've been hurt. They're hurting. And because they're hurting, because they've been hurt, they're they're not very trusting So this is why this has to be done continuously, repeatedly. Because when we first offer them unconditional acceptance, they're not going to believe it because they've been rejected too many times. They've been hurt too many times. And they're probably going to be a little standoffish towards us. But as we continue to reach out and to be accepting and let them know that, that we want to have relationship with them. Those barriers will come down and we will have an opportunity to share the greatest news that we could ever share that not only do we accept them but God accepts them just the way they are. Accept others unconditionally. Then we need to encourage others continually. Encourage others continually. 1 Thessalonians five eleven says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Now, here's something we can start out every day with. We can say, you know, I'm going to accept those people at work that everyone doesn't accept. Those people that they make fun of and those people who are struggling. Instead of joining the crowd that's condemning them and making fun of them and, and ostracizing them, I'm going to accept them and then I'm going to go beyond just accepting them. I'm going to go and I'm going to encourage them. I'm gonna try to build them up. I'm gonna try to make a positive difference in their life. Now, let me tell you three facts about all people. It's three three facts about every one of us here today. Number one, everyone is having a tough time. Now, some of us are enjoying a season of life. That's not too bad. But it doesn't mean that we're not without any challenges. We all have challenges. All of us having a tough time someplace. Might be our health at the moment. Might be our finances at the moment. Might be our job at the moment. Might be our relationships at the moment. But all of us are experiencing tough times because of sin and its presence in the world. That's our human experience. Everybody has a hidden hurt. We've all been hurt. We've all been violated. And it's hidden. We don't necessarily put it out there for everyone to know about. In fact, oftentimes we really guard it because if we put it out there, we're afraid that people are going to use that against us again and hurt us again. And so there's things that there's hurts inside us that we hold inside us. we, We don't just put out there for everyone to know about, but we all have them. There's those areas of vulnerability in every single one of us. And third, because everyone's having a tough time, because everyone has a hurt, hurt, everyone can use a lift. Everyone can use a word of encouragement. You know, there's a difference between acceptance, and that's, we get, need to accept people unconditionally, and encouragement. Acceptance recognizes a person as he is, as she is now. That lady accepted that thief as a thief and a threat. Christ received and accepted us in our sinful condition. Encouragement, rather, celebrates what they may yet become with God's help. What a difference that is, huh? See, that's what our our mission statement again is all about. To be God's people to all people, to be God's virgin, all people span across the gap of where they are now to where God created them to be. So encouraging is celebrating the fact that where you are now is not where you need to stay. Where you are now is not God's total plan for you because God can make so much more of you. God will use you in ways you can't even imagine. And that's true of every one of us here today. Ephesians 4.29, therefore, says, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for what? Read it with me. Building others up. Now, you say, well, you just used this passage last week. Well, yeah. Are we doing it yet? Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, I should use my presence. I should use my words. I should choose them not to tear down. I should choose them to build up. I should choose them to be accepting. I should choose them to be encouraging because everybody needs encouragement. I love this poem by Edgar Guest. I saw them tear a building down, a team of men in a busy town, With a heave and a hoe and a hearty yell, they swung a beam and a side wall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men as skilled as the ones you'd hire if you had to build? He laughed and said, no indeed, common laborers is all I need, and I can destroy in a day or two what it took the builder years to do. So I thought to myself, As I went on my way, which of these roles am I willing to play? Am I the one who's tearing down as I carelessly make my way around? Or am I the one who builds with care, making the world better because I was there? Wow, what a challenge. What a challenge. Which role do I play? Am I a wrecker? Am I going around knocking stuff down and knocking people down and, and, and discouraging them? And, or am I a builder? When I have died and people do a eulogy for me, will they authentically be able to say that, you know what? This world was a better place because I, I was here. I was part of it at one time. Accept others unconditionally. Encourage others continually. Forgive others freely. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive. What's the word? Whatever grievance you have against one another. Whatever. That's pretty open-ended, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it that way because the Holy Spirit understands that we endure so many grievances. He says, I'm not going to pick and choose. These are really serious ones. These are not so serious. You really got to think about these. Though. All of them, no matter what they are. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Listen, You've heard me say this before, the hallmark of Christianity, of the way of life, the worldview that we are embracing, not the religion, but the way of life, the hallmark of that way of life is forgiveness. That's what really makes Christianity different than so many of the world religions. And Jesus said, you know, people are gonna know that we are children of God. People are gonna know that we are part of God's family, particularly, because we're peacemakers and peacemakers offer forgiveness. It's a hallmark of peace building. It's offering accepting forgiveness. I love this little quote that I came across. It said, forgiveness, love like you have never been hurt before. I love that, love like you have never been hurt before. That's what forgiveness is. Now, again, I'm going to warn you. They are not readily going to accept you and your forgiveness. In fact, they may test you by hurting you more. That's how it might initially play out. Oh, you're forgiving, huh? Oh, you're, you're one of those forgiving Christian people. You're one of... Well, let's see how forgiving you are. Because remember... They're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And so we we, we do these things. We can't do them with the anticipation of an immediate positive response. We do them because they're right to do. And we do them because we're a royal priesthood. A people chosen by God to declare the glories of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And see, so they're going to hurt us more. And then we forgive more. Why? Because what does Colossians tell us? To forgive whatever grievances. Not only the initial one, but the one that may become as a test of seeing how sincere and authentic we are about being peace builders. So we're contagious Christians by accepting others unconditionally. By encouraging others continually. By forgiving others others freely. And let me give you one more practical one. Helping others willingly. Helping others willingly. Last word is key in that phrase. Helping others Say it with me. Willingly. Titus 3:14. Paul says our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, and not live unproductive lives. Again, another hallmark of Christianity. He says, we've got to teach our people to devote themselves to doing good. I love this little side epithet here. Help people even when you know they can't help you back. I would say particularly when you know they can't help you back. See, because sometimes we help people as kind of a barter system. If I help you enough when I need help, I, I know where to turn because I've helped you, because, and then you're going to feel obligated to help me, right? And so sometimes our intentions are not pure. Our intentions are not positive. They're, 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 they're not authentic. And we're kind of playing this, this game with each other. You know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine is our expression, Right? But that's not a mark of a contagious Christian. A contagious Christian is, I'm going to help you. Even though I understand you may never do anything for me. You ne- may never. And I'm not going to hold it against you because you don't. Because I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this so that you can see a difference in me than you see in other people. And that difference, you can get excited about that difference. And you can be excited about about becoming that kind of person because you see something positive in me that may be lacking in yourselves. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus said, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, I tell you the truth, he will not lose his reward. So Jesus says this, Jesus says, here's how simple step four is of helping others willingly. It's not, well, I've got to give up a week's pay and go pay somebody's rent, or I've got to, I've got to spend five hours over their house painting. And I mean, all that stuff. The Lord may lead you to help them that way, and if he does, then do that. But Jesus said, no, it, it, it's, it's not all these grandiose things that we often expect. He says, give somebody a cup of cold water. And I promise you this, you're not going to lose your reward, It's simple things. It's not the grandiose. And so how can I become contagious in a way that excites others about either first developing a relationship with Jesus Christ, or two, growing in their relationship with Christ? Do I accept others unconditionally? Do I encourage each other constantly? Am I a wrecker or am I a builder? Forgiving others freely because it's a hallmark of Christianity. And I forgive not necessarily because anyone else deserves forgiveness, but I forgive because that's what God did for me. That's what Jesus did for me. I'm going to help. I'm going to make a difference. I want this world to be a better place because I lived here. And I want people to be encouraged. I want to help them. 2 Corinthians 2.14, what is it again? Be that fragrance of the knowledge of him wherever we go. Let Let me ask you, as I asked myself this week, how contagious are you? How contagious are you? Right now, what's the Lord saying to you? What's he speaking to you? Maybe he's calling you to to be more accepting of someone. Maybe when a moment ago I said, there's that man, there's that woman at work who everyone makes fun of and maybe who's struggling. Are you one who has accepted that person into your circle even though it might cost you in the eyes of your co-workers a little bit of their support. Maybe it's encouraging. Maybe when you you looked at that poem about wrecking and you thought, you know what? I can do better in that area. I I, I can do better about encouraging, building people up rather than being a wrecking ball everywhere I go. Maybe it's there's forgiveness that's required someplace not, not deserved but required to be contagious or maybe there's somebody the Lord has been kind of saying hey that person needs some help you know you're looking you come out every day and you look at their yard and go why don't they mow their yard well why don't you mow it for them really yeah I've done it with both of my neighbors helping people be contagious let God spread around his fragrance through us let's bow our heads Father thank you for your word and thank you for these encouragements today thank you that you can use us for your glory Thank you that we can make a difference in people's lives. Thank you that you have put us here in this earth. Especially once we came to faith in Jesus and became your family. You have put us here to accomplish these four things. To accept others unconditionally. To encourage others constantly. To forgive and to to help others always and willingly God help us each to evaluate where we're at in that process and Lord help us to peek into one of those this week and say you know this week this is the one I'm going to work on this is the one I'm going to do better at this week and then Lord next week by this time we'll see the value of that because you will show us the value use us for your glory Use us to attract others to you and not repel them from you. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.